0: mTOR got its name because of the research trying to figure out how this new drug rapamycin works. And it was discovered that when rapamycin crosses a cellular membrane and enters into a cell, it binds with a particular protein. And so the protein got named the mechanistic target of rapamycin. Critically important for regulating metabolism. When nutrients are available to a cell, mTOR is a sensor of nutrients and when nutrients are available, mTOR sends out signals to the cell that says use these nutrients to build new proteins, build new enzymes, build cellular components, grow and proliferate. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo
1: Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi And today we get to venture into anti-aging nutrition and lifestyle hacks as we connect with a natural pharmacist that all of you should know. His name is Ross Pelton. Ross is a certified clinical nutritionist and has a PhD in psychology. In October 1999, Ross was named one of the top 50 most influential pharmacists in America by American Druggist magazine for his work in natural medicine. In addition to being the natural pharmacist, Ross is also the scientific director for Essential Formulas, which is a company that specializes in making premium probiotic products. Ross has written 12 books. His most recent is rapamycin, mTOR, autophagy, and treating mTOR syndrome, which can be ordered via Amazon or directly through a link you'll find with show notes. So let's get to know Ross and how simple lifestyle and nutrition habits can turn on the anti-aging capacity of your body. Ross, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Karina, it's really nice to be with you on Nutrition Without Compromise. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, it's going to be a fun one. I mean, ultimately, I am really big on this whole world of anti-aging. There are so many ways that we can naturally activate our body's ability to heal itself and ultimately starting with nutrition. So as we get started, I'd like to ask you first, what does this concept of nutrition without compromise, our very show's title, mean to you?
0: Nutrition is the foundation of good health. I totally agree with you on that. And We want to have available to us good nutrition without compromising the environment. That's one of the biggest challenges these days globally. And so I think we have similar passions along that line.
1: (laughs) Well, we could get into talking about things like regenerative agriculture in another show. But before we get into talking about rapamycin specifically, let's dive into mTOR and autophagy. What are they and what do they mean to our
0: health? Okay, these are terms that I hope very soon will become household terms commonly known to most people. mTOR is a protein inside cells, and it stands for the mechanistic target of rapamycin. Now, I know that's a mouthful.
1: (laughs) It is. Let me see if I can say it. The wait, no, do it again.
0: (laughs) Target of rapamycin. I'll leave it to you. (laughs) mTOR got its name. Because of the research trying to figure out how this new drug, rapamycin, works. And it was discovered that when rapamycin crosses a cellular membrane and enters into a cell, it binds with a particular protein. And so the protein got named the mechanistic target of rapamycin. Critically important for regulating metabolism. When nutrients are available to a cell, mTOR is a sensor of nutrients. And when nutrients are available, mTOR sends out signals to the cell that says, use these nutrients to build new proteins, build new enzymes, build cellular components, grow and proliferate. The other side of the coin is autophagy. And this is a term and a topic that won Japanese scientist the Nobel Prize in 2016. And autophagy, I equate it to the rest phase in cells and our human sleep phase. We we think about sleep as our rest phase, but sleep is not really a rest phase. There's a tremendous amount of metabolic activity going on during sleep. So autophagy is much the same. Autophagy is the rest phase in cells when nutrients are not available to the cell. But during autophagy, cells are able to target damaged and old under functioning cellular components, misfolded proteins and enzymes that are under functioning, it targets them and breaks them down to their cellular components, to their nutritional components, and will either detoxify them, get some of the damaged substances out of the cell, or reutilize these amino acids and other cellular components to build new enzymes and new proteins. So you've got this balance between mTOR and autophagy. And throughout 99.99% of human evolution, mTOR and autophagy were in balance. And when I use the term balance for these terms, I don't mean equal amounts or equal time. It's kind of like the microbiome. When your microbiome is in balance, when you have a healthy microbiome, you really have about 85 to 90% good friendly probiotic bacteria And only 10 or 15% bad bacteria. We all have some bad bacteria. But when the microbiome is healthy and in balance, there's such a predominance of the good, friendly bacteria that the small amounts of bad bacteria don't become a problem. So that's kind of like the situation with mTOR and autophagy. And so the next way I want to lead into an explanation of these topics is to tell our listeners that through most of human evolution, people did not get up in the morning. And open the refrigerator and take out the milk and make a bowl of cereal and start making eggs for breakfast. People did not eat three meals a day for almost all of human evolution. Uh, Anthropologists and paleontologists believe that our ancestral humans for two to three hundred million years probably only ate one meal a day and spent about four hours per day digesting their food. These days, people eat all the time 7 a.m. breakfast. Lunch, dinner, mid-meal snacks, dessert after supper, an evening nightcap, from seven a.m. to seven p.m. Breakfast to supper, twelve hours, another four hours to digest your food. That's sixteen hours that modern humans are consuming food and digesting what they've eaten. Sixteen hours compared to modern uh, to the ancestral humans who spent about four hours per day. So these days, most people on the planet. Spend about four times more every day ingesting nutrients, and autophagy never gets adequate time to function. And autophagy is the detoxification phase in your cells. And another aspect of autophagy that's really important, a lot of people haven't focused on, it's the rebuilding of your body. You're breaking down old damaged, underfunctioning cellular components and rebuilding healthy new cellular components. So it's not just detoxification, but it's also revitalization and renewal and just rebuilding your body. So those are really important topics, mTOR and autophagy. And these days, most people alive are terribly out of balance, eating and consuming far more nutrients than most humans ever consumed not getting adequate time in autophagy. And I think this is a fundamental problem that's related to most of the health problems today. And when we talk about health problems, Karina, I like to emphasize to people that these days we have an epidemic of epidemics. We have an epidemic of heart disease, an epidemic of diabetes and metabolic syndrome, an epidemic of Alzheimer's disease, an epidemic of inflammatory bowel diseases. Autism, ADHD, on and on, all of these illnesses. And two or 300 years ago, we didn't have any of these epidemics.
1: Well, we also didn't have things like shortening in our food supply, and we didn't have things like aspartame sweetening our foods. We consumed far less sugar. And in today's world, sugar is lurking in all sorts of things that might even be marketed as health products. And so we're overconsuming calories. We're consuming things that cause us to crave overconsumption of calories because we're not actually feeding our bodies the core nutrition that we need. And so then you have out of control cravings, and people don't know when to stop eating because they are eating foods that are food like substances, as I often call them, rather than being foods. Just because it's edible doesn't mean you should eat it. And I think we're getting to a space where I think most people understand that what your grandmother identified as food. Let's say you're in your 40s like me, your grandmother grew up in a time that was before a lot of these supposed advents in food technology, and they did not battle the health challenges the same way we do today. They may still have suffered from cancer or heart disease and had these issues crop up, but they came up later in life, and they often were treated with things like diet and exercise, whereas today it seems we go to, oh, take these five prescriptions. And so I think that while medical advances have occurred that help us extend our lives, we have not necessarily extended our health cycle. And I think that is the piece that we're getting to when we talk about something like grapamycin. It's not just extending your life, right? It has a potential to extend your healthy life.
0: Yeah, I really emphasize this, Karina. It's not just extending your lifespan. It's extending your health span. And I totally agree. There's many, many things that contribute to accelerated aging. You've mentioned a bunch of them there with aspartame and increased sugars and foods and so forth. Two of the things that I identify as major factors that contributed to the now almost universal imbalance between mTOR and autophagy. In the middle 1700s, refrigeration was invented. And in then the 1920s and 30s and 40s, household refrigerators became available and refrigerators with freezers. So that allowed people to store more food and have it available easily, more regularly. After World War II, 1950s and so forth, the food packaging and food preservation industry kind of took off. And now we have convenience stores with crap food, junk food.
1: Well, I want to stop you here for a moment because you mentioned earlier that We have a situation where people assume they have to get up and have that healthiest meal of the day, breakfast, so to speak, right? Get up and eat. We're told that. Get your metabolism humming. is the most important meal of the day. Well, guess who championed that phrase, the most important meal of the day? Cereal manufacturers, and specifically Kellogg.
0: Yes, Kellogg Cereal was the company in the end, actually the person that started that.
1: It's propaganda. That's what it is. It's being shared to us from a marketing capacity, convincing us that we need more of something that may actually be deleterious to our health.
0: You're absolutely right. So it's the easy availability of food all the time today that has people eating all the time. And as you mentioned, marketing is people brainwashed that they have to eat three meals a day. And this is absolutely not true. In fact, it really does impede health and So this whole topic that I'm talking about the drug rapamycin and 25 years of research trying to figure out the mechanisms of how this drug works has uncovered and discovered this relationship between mTOR and autophagy. And I think it is one of the most critical important health discoveries of all time. I believe that everybody needs to learn the importance of intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating because these are the natural ways to activate autophagy and to partially inhibit the mTOR signals because if you're partially intermittent fasting, you're not taking in nutrients. So mTOR is not getting activated. You give autophagy time to function. Every cell in your body starts to work better. And in animal models, virtually every single disease related to the aging process where there's cardiovascular diseases metabolic diseases neurological diseases every single one of these diseases in animal models improves with rapamycin and the same thing can be said for intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating but there's a lot of people that are not going to discipline themselves to do fasting This is where rapamycin comes in. Rapamycin does this for you. When people take rapamycin, it goes into the cells, it binds to mTOR and partially inhibits it, which allows autophagy to function. And the downscale effects is that every cell in your body starts to function better. You delay the onset of age related diseases. In animal models, many of the major diseases actually have reversal of many of the symptoms. So, this is a really critical new health topic that i'm passionate about i think it'll be my passion for the rest of my life
1: well and hopefully your life gets extended through something like this incredible tool so i understand that something that is inhibiting the adoption of rapamycin is actually its success as an anti-rejection drug so let's talk about what rapamycin is because to me it sounds like it sounds like an antibiotic like, <laughs> I don't really think about it just from the way the word is even structured as something that would be enhancing of a long-term life.
0: So let me actually start at the beginning, Karina, and talk about how and when rapamycin was discovered, and then I'll ease into how it got classified as a drug by the FDA for a couple of different applications. Back in the middle 1960s, a group of Canadian scientists organized a scientific expedition to Easter Island. Easter Island is one of the most remote places on Earth. It's several thousand miles west of Chile, middle of the ocean. The reason these scientists targeted Easter Island for their expedition is that for centuries, horses ran wild on Easter Island. There were more horses than there were inhabitants on the island. And where horses are prevalent, there's usually the tetanus bacteria in the soil. The Easter Islanders all went barefoot. So the scientists that learned about this were puzzled if there are tetanus bacteria in the soil and these people go barefoot all the time but aren't getting tetanus, is there a possibility that there's something in the environment there that's protecting them? So the purpose of the expedition was to go to Easter Island and see if they could find sources of new antibiotics and antifungal drugs. They took a wide number of soil samples from different areas on the island, took them back to their labs in Canada, and they discovered that a strain of soil bacteria produces a compound that they named rapamycin. Now, the name rapamycin comes from the fact that the indigenous people call Easter Island, their name for it is Rapa Nui. So they named the drug rapamycin.
1: I am so glad I asked. Because, I mean, I'm an anthropologist at heart. That was my undergrad, right? I've done archaeology digs. I've been on expeditions, so to speak, and analyzed cultures around the world as well. I've even observed primates as part of my understudy and been part of studies related to them, even preparing one of the chimps, skeletons that Jane Goodall had studied in the wild. So I look at that as one of my moments of touching greatness. But as it stands, understanding that our physical bodies are capable of doing something to preserve and protect us. Essentially, science is just getting to a point where it starts to understand these things. Is just one of the things that inspires me to continue learning because as, as our bodies are a mystery to us in so many ways. The more we know, the more we don't know. <laughs> but these incredible discoveries keep coming up. And so the root of that word, wow, how incredible. Rapa Nui.
0: This is a very exciting time. As science progresses, we learn more. You mentioned your interest in anthropology. I did not know that, and I'd like to learn more about that in another conversation, maybe offline sometime. But it's interesting to me that anthropologists and paleontologists have discovered in samples that have been preserved that single-cell organisms that are 3.5 billion years old have mTOR and autophagy mechanisms in them. These mechanisms were present in single cell organisms when life began to emerge on Earth.
1: So they're present in algae then, that's what you're saying.
0: Yes, these are-
1: Some of the oldest organisms, wow, I did not know that.
0: The mTOR and autophagy were present in cells at the beginning of life, and they are present in every single living organism. That's how fundamentally important these topics are. Going fast forward now, After they discovered rapamycin, it started to be developed as an antifungal drug. During the developmental process of rapamycin as an antifungal drug, they learned that rapamycin suppresses the immune system. So all that research just came to a screeching halt. Well, a number of years later, some physicians realized that people that have a kidney transplant need to be taking immune suppressant drugs daily for the rest of their life. And so they tested rapamycin and found out that it works very well. In fact, it works better than some of the most common immune suppressing drugs that were used like cyclosporin. And so rapamycin in 1999 was FDA approved for people to take to prevent the rejection of a kidney transplant. And then samples of rapamycin were sent to the National Cancer Institute. and They did some tests and found out that rapamycin is the first example of a new type of chemotherapy drug. Most chemotherapy drugs are what we call cytotoxic. They kill cancer cells, but they also kill other rapidly dividing cells, like the lining of your gastrointestinal tract and the cells in your bone marrow that are producing your red blood cells and so forth. So that's where a lot of the side effects from chemotherapy. So rapamycin is not chemotoxic or cytotoxic cytostatic. It stops the cancer growth, but it doesn't have all the toxic side effects. So rapamycin has now been approved by the FDA to treat several different types of solid tumor cancers. So we have the unique situation where the FDA approval for rapamycin as a drug to treat the prevention of organ transplant rejection and as several different types of chemotherapy is actually a barrier to rapamycin acceptance as a life extension anti-aging drug. Most doctors don't know about, they aren't aware of rapamycin. But secondly, most of the doctors that are aware of rapamycin know about it as a drug to prevent organ transplant rejection or as a chemotherapy drug. And those are not indications that you usually use to prescribe a drug to somebody that's interested in life extension, life extension enthusiasts.
1: Because you would think that it would work by inhibiting essentially your body's natural functions that you want to support a long and healthy life, but it's an oversimplification of how it works just because it gets prescribed as an anti-rejection
0: drug or an anti-cancer drug. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So along comes a physician by the name of Dr. Joan Manick, who worked at one of the big drug companies, Novartis. She had the unique position at that company where she could work on anything she wanted related to aging. So Dr. Manick chose rapamycin to study, and she selected as her group of people to study elderly people 65 years and older. She divided these people into four different groups, and one was the placebo group, and she actually didn't use rapamycin. She used what's called a rapalog version of rapamycin, slightly different, but the drug is called RAD001, and this drug had virtually the same effects of rapamycin. So she gave people either half a milligram daily or another group five milligrams once a week, third group 20 milligrams once a week. So we got four groups, the other the placebo. So these people are taking their drug or the placebo for six weeks. At the end of six weeks, there's a two-week washout period. And then at the end of the two-week washout period, all the participants received the seasonal flu vaccine. And then Dr. Manick measured how their immune system responds to the challenge of the flu vaccine. Now, elderly people, 65 years and older, all have an underfunctioning immune system compared to people in their 20s and 30s. That's just part of the aging process. So she found out that the five milligrams once per week was the sweet spot. Those people got about a 20% boost in the effectiveness of their immune system. So for elderly people, that's a pretty important benefit, once a week. What we've discovered now is that taking rapamycin daily will suppress the immune system. But if you take it episodically, just once per week, you temporarily partially inhibit mTOR, which gives autophagy time to function, but you're not doing such tremendous inhibition of mTOR that you get the immune suppression.
1: I want to bring something up here because there's a popular trend even within intermittent fasting or fasting community to try and choose one day a week to simply not eat or to extend the hours in which they don't eat to a longer stretch to do some of this work. So do you think that there is validity behind simply even doing that one day a week if somebody's just trying to boost their system and work towards a more regular fasting regimen?
0: 100%. Absolutely. Even just one day a week? I'll make a couple of comments about this. I have known about fasting for a long time, but I've never really gotten into it until I wrote this book. And then I discovered how... And why fasting is important because it inhibits mTOR. So you give autophagy time to function, you start to detoxify your body, and you rebuild a new body. And so the most common form of intermittent fasting is called the 16 8 protocol. And so people start eating at noon, they have their last meal at eight o'clock and at night, and they go from eight o'clock at night until noon the next day, which is 16 hours without eating. You consume all of your calories in an eight. Hour window from noon until 8 p.m. Also, it's called the 2 7 protocol, where a lot of people will do complete fasting two days per week, maybe Monday and Thursday. And on their complete days of fasting, some people do complete fasting, some people will just take a very minimal amount of calories on those fasting days. But those are probably the two most common popular types of fasting either the 16 8 protocol fasting for a complete day, occasionally, or fasting two days a week. And there are people that do longer fasts. And my personal story here, Karina, almost two months ago now, my wife was gone for a couple of weeks and on a vacation with some of her girlfriends. So the first week she was gone, I did a two-day fast. I anticipated that it would be a miserable experience. It was not. It was amazingly simple for me. The second week my wife was gone, I did a three day complete fast, I just had herbal tea, coffee with no sugar and no cream, or water. And again, it was amazingly simple for me. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be simple for everybody. But I was really astounded to find out how simple this is for me. And I will do this periodically for the rest of my life, maybe a two day fast once a month is kind of what I'm targeting. But I think everybody will benefit from doing some fasting and up to the individual how committed they want to get, whether it's a 16-8 protocol or doing a day fast occasionally or even more frequently.
1: Well, what I will say, because I have a bit of experience doing intermittent fasting and also fasting myself, is that I found that when you start just omitting breakfast, like just that simple act, maybe you just have coffee, black coffee, or I use a bit of nut milk in mine, so it's not a pure fast, right? Right. But I'm not eating any food, generally speaking, before lunch. And sometimes I'll even forget to eat until two or three in the afternoon. And then I'm like, well, it's close enough to dinner. I'll just do a small snack. And so I'm eating something around three in the afternoon, two or three in the afternoon. And then when my family comes together at dinner time, we have a complete meal, we have time together, and I'm not sacrificing that moment. I think that's important. It's part of the whole experience of having a healthy relationship with food. But I also went through a multiple day juice fast cleanse when I was in my late 20s, which ultimately resulted in me self-diagnosing a thyroid problem, which was then confirmed because when I started to reintroduce food after that fourth day, I had a difficulty swallowing and I knew that to be symptomatic. I also then reflected on a moment where I had had a Reiki professional doing some body work on me, and when they'd gotten to my throat, they said they felt block. And so I put these two things together and then said, you know, I'm I'm just going to go get a blood test. Turned out my thyroid was dramatically underperforming, and so I addressed that with some core vitamins and ultimately wasn't able to 100% solve it. I, I use a natural thyroid support system now, but use this combination of would be natural medicine natural practitioner work foundational supplementary support good nutrition and a little bit of western medicine all in one to help me reach my best health because one of the things that you run into as you approach a diagnosis which is in the autoimmune category like Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism which is what I have a lot of people will end up getting sick much more frequently and they'll also worry that something like fasting is going to kill their thyroid. That's not (laughs) how it works. And so I want for you to talk about that because I know there's a lot of misinformation out there around this process and around what can cause something like thyroid
0: disruption. Sure, I'm happy to chat about this. Environmental toxins are everywhere. One of the areas that they really attack is the thyroid. And so when you do fasting and you detoxification protocols like you did, you will start to reactivate your thyroid tissue. And that's how a lot of people actually turn that condition around. I think that most people have no real understanding of how toxic our environment has become. The number of chemicals in the environment is astounding. I think that the Herbicide glyphosate is one of the worst sins against humanity in the history of the world. We're killing the microbiome in the planet, and it's also contributing to killing the microbiome in humans. Well, it kills our soil. It makes it less productive with time. I'm very passionate about regenerative agriculture and the health of our environment, as well as the health of human individuals.
1: I know it's a big topic, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Let me emphasize a couple of more things about rapamycin you would never give it to a child or a teenager because these are times of rapid growth. And if you inhibit mTOR, mTOR is the regulator of growth. It senses nutrients and it sends out all the signals for growth. So I don't think it's appropriate for people to start rap- taking rapamycin until somewhere in their 30s or 40s. And it, I want to emphasize that we don't have many of the answers to this yet. This is a very new area of research. A lot of research done in animals, but very limited amount of research in humans because you can't do life extension studies in humans. But I'll talk about some interesting studies that are underway. But
1: Well, you've just answered another question I was going to ask, which was ultimately whether you ever thought that this would be an over-the-counter drug. And I think the answer is obviously no then, if teens can never take it and children not either.
0: Yeah, but I will emphasize this is a natural product. It's produced by a strain of soil bacteria. So it's not some obscure chemical that the drug company has produced in the laboratory. It's something that nature produces, but it probably never will be available over the counter. I don't know if there will be a movement where people start to get this strain of soil bacteria and grow their own. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, perhaps, but then they'd be producing something in violation of what FDA drug law. So,
0: yeah. But anyway, so nobody knows how early you should start or could start taking rapamycin is probably variable depending on not only age but people's health condition and their lifestyle so if you get somebody that's grossly obese in their 30s they can probably benefit from rapamycin where a healthier individual might not want to consider it until they get into their 40s but if we start thinking about from the age of 40 on just about everybody on the planet these days, except maybe some indigenous cultures somewhere, are eating far more frequently and ingesting calories from far more hours per day than 99.9% of human evolution. So I think virtually all adults on the planet, with the exception of maybe people who are already on respirators or in hospice, they're probably too far far gone to get much benefit from rapamycin. But I think most people alive today, adults, can benefit from taking rapamycin. Some of the researchers in the scientific community have even suggested that the older you get, people might be able to benefit from higher doses of rapamycin. I'm not recommending that yet. I don't think we have enough research for that. But we still don't know what's the optimal dosage, and I think in several years we'll get more information but I think it will be very individual. What's the appropriate dosage for people? How fast does it get metabolized in different individuals? How frequently should different people take a dose? Maybe some people should take a dose once a week, and some people should only take a dose once every other week. We don't know the answer to these questions yet, but the research in animal studies is very suggestive that most of the benefits that are seen in animals will happen in humans because animals get the same diseases that humans get. And gentleman by the name of Matt Kaberline is a scientist up at the University of Washington, who started the the dog aging project. They plan to get, and they hope to get over a hundred thousand companion dogs into this study. Now these are basically pets, and the reason for doing this is that dogs age about seven times faster than humans, but dogs get most of the same diseases humans get. So if we study dogs. And there's an arm of the trial that's devoted to rapamycin, double-blind trial. We'll start to learn more about rapamycin and how rapamycin affects age-related diseases and the onset of these diseases. So I'm very happy about the Dog Aging Project. And I'm actually now getting ready to publish the second edition of my book. And I'm going to have probably five or six new chapters on it because there's so much new information that has come out since I published the book just earlier this year. Stay tuned. There's going to be more information in the uh, second edition.
1: Well, I understand too that you have an entire presentation that you plan to deliver via a webinar or screen share that I can also make available to the audience here, which will hopefully touch at least somewhat deeply on some of that new information. I would love to just refer people to that specific link, which we'll share when this episode publishes as well. And I also just want to say that I think that this is incredible research. It's also showcasing that we are at a bridge in a way with the human species. We can take from our knowledge thus far and implement things as simple as fasting a day a week or perhaps two days a week or implementing strategies like intermittent fasting with a healthy diet, proper supplementation, the right nutrition for you to ultimately stimulate some of these naturally occurring processes within our body to extend our lives and to extend our health spans. So even if we don't gain access to rapamycin as a drug, I don't know if it'll happen for me or how I would go about that. So (laughs) perhaps you could speak to that for a moment if there are doctors in anti-aging medicine that are prescribing this for this particular effort or not.
0: So the purpose of my book is to accelerate people's learning curve about rapamycin a lot of people get my book and they take it and give it to their doctor and ask their doctor to read it. And if you have difficulty finding a physician who will write a prescription for rapamycin for you, there are some doctors who are doing telemedicine visits and writing prescriptions for rapamycin. And I'll have some information for people on that. Also, a number of generic drug companies in India are producing the generic form of rapamycin. In fact, let me mention that the drug company Pfizer has the patent on rapamycin and the name of the drug is Rapimmune. So Rapimmune is the name of the pharmaceutical product, Rapamycin is the name of the drug and the generic name of the drug is Sirolimus, S-I-R-O-L-I-M-U-S. And a number of Indian generic drug companies are manufacturing Sirolimus and Quite a few people now are ordering the drug without a prescription from these Indian drug companies, paying it by credit card, and they say it takes four to six weeks to get delivered by mail, but the deliveries are coming through customs without being confiscated, and I hope my publication of this information doesn't cause the customs officials to start to look into this, (laughs) but that's another way that some people are getting rapamycin without having a prescription for it.
1: Well, I don't know if I'd be ready to take that leap yet, but it's interesting to see that you could do something like consume a drug as little as five milligrams every week or so and see a positive effect like that.
0: Another comment I'll make is there's a Dr. Alan Green in New York. He's got over 700 patients taking rapamycin. A doctor in the Houston, Texas area, Stephen Holtze, has the Holtze Health and Wellness Clinic. One of his physicians read my book, took it to Dr. Holsey and said, you have to read this book. Dr. Holsey read the book, got in touch with me, had me on his podcast. He's ordered 600 copies of my book and giving them to all of the physicians that use the compounding pharmacy at the Holsey Wellness Clinic. So things like this are starting to happen to spread the word about rapamycin. I'm very happy to have these things start to unfold as word of mouth has its effect and people realize this is a very important topic. So I encourage people that read my book, please tell your friend about it and please write a review and post it on Amazon because a lot of little comments make a big difference.
1: Right, well, that's where everybody goes these days to look at books. So even if it is available in another third-party site, which I'll share again with show notes, for those that don't want to shop on Amazon and also at the same time, even if you do buy the book elsewhere, you can write a review on Amazon and that helps to bolster a book's success. That's just one of the small tricks that we have in the world of publishing. But I do want to say, it's obvious to me that you believe we're out of the guinea pig trials for this and that this is something that's ready for adoption, mindfully used within the proper bumpers and guidelines, which you obviously detail as well in your
0: book. There's another thing I'll mention to our viewing audience. There's a website called rapamycin.news. It is an online forum that is the best place to find all of the information about rapamycin. Current information, there's ongoing discussions. People can ask questions there and get answers. So it's a very good site to know about. You mentioned one comment about nutrition, and, and you and I both know that nutrition is absolutely the foundation. And somebody made a comment that I'm using, and I'm not even sure who to credit with this comment. But the, the comment was, you can't outrun a bad diet. And what I mean by that is no amount of exercise is going to compensate for a bad diet. So we have to make diet the foundation of a healthy lifestyle. And then there's lots of other things that people can do to promote good health, adequate sleep and exercise and avoiding aspartame and glyphosate and all these things. But ipomycin is right up there on the top as one of the most fundamental things that can improve everybody's health.
1: Yes, I would agree. And also... I would be remiss if I didn't share a couple of simple truths. One, a great probiotic like those offered by Essential Formulas, who I know you work with, and a great omega-3 like those offered by Orlo Nutrition. Both of these things are helpful in extending your health span and your lifespan. And there's even research which shows that getting proper amounts of these nutrients actually helps to extend things like the length of telomeres on the ends of our DNA, which enables our DNA to go through more replications without running into issues, which means that you're less likely to do things like develop a cancer. So getting that core nutrition, a couple of key supplements. I am a big believer in omega-3s, probiotics, greens. You can't eat enough of them. Even getting a green supplement is a great idea. Doing something like supplementing your immune system with a spirulina. We even produce one or low nutrition. Spray in your mouth, you get your vitamin D, you get some B vitamins, you get spirulina. Health promoting, support a healthy immune system because you need that in this day and age like no other. I mean, we're in the world still of a pandemic here.
0: And I'm really thrilled that you're passionate about probiotics because that's another one of my passions. And I'm actually working on an article, maybe a book at some point, called The Microbiome Theory of Aging.
1: I'm sure you'll end up getting into soil health there too, because we're talking about soil-based organisms and where do you get your probiotics in the first place? (laughs) And so much of it comes from food. I mean, I even know people who grow their own produce and choose specifically because they're growing their own produce, not to wash their vegetables because they want to get the soil-based organisms with the food that they're eating. And they're confident in the soil quality because they're managing it themselves. So these are all sorts of strategies you can implement to ensure that your body is as healthy as possible. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking this time with me today. This has been really great. I know I'm going to include links with show notes for where to find you, but where do you prefer people connect
0: with you if they want to get to know more about you specifically and your work? Sure, my website is naturalpharmacist.net. My blog is there, my bio is there tremendous amount of information, a wide range of health topics. I'm interested in everything related to health. Naturalpharmacist.net is the best place to connect with me and a lot of my work.
1: Well, and you're a prolific author, so I'm sure they can find one of your 12 books there as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and they're on Amazon too, most of them.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been my absolute pleasure.
0: I appreciate your invitation and the opportunity to chat with you today.
1: Now, I think it's clear the message that Ross Pelton leaves us with today is that we should all be advocates for our health and we should think deeply about how to extend that health span. We could do simple things like even fasting intermittently or choosing one or two days a week to really stimulate the body's ability to harness the power of autophagy. Now, whether that be consuming something like rapamycin, that is left up to you. I encourage you to pick up a copy of Ross Pelton's book. It is an incredible read and I'll be digging more through its pages and sharing the knowledge I gain with you in future episodes. Now to get all of the access to links, I encourage you to visit orlonutrition.com for our complete blog about this episode, including the video version, features that you won't find anywhere else, and also that link to an in-depth review of the research around rapamycin by Ross Pelton himself. Thank you for joining us on this journey today. If you have questions about what we covered, please reach out via email or social channels. You can contact me at Orlo Nutrition on social channels and also via email directly to hello at OrloNutrition.com. As we close today's show, I hope that you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me, even if it's just water or a cup of tea. As I say my closing words, here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit Orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs. Because nutrition shouldn't be an either or.